Well, we are uh, studying the book of 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians is a book about not giving up. It's a book about finding strength from God in hard times. Finding courage. Finding comfort from our great God. Uh, One of our dearest church members, Judy Hawks. I've, I've known her almost my entire ministry. Uh, found out after some tests that cancer has spread all throughout her body. And they've called in hospice because the doctor said there is nothing they can do. The first sermon Judy heard after that news was, guess what, last week, <clears throat> finding courage to face death. Her and her husband Randy feel like that sermon was just for them, and it probably was. Um, I spent some time with Judy this week. She has great faith. First thing she said, it is well with my soul. I, I picked her children up on, her children were like first graders, I think. Uh, Mandy and Michael, I picked them up on the church bus years ago. They're now, they now just turned like 40, so it was a long time ago. And uh, she has such good kids, and they're, they're by her side. I'd like to think maybe the church had some influence on them because they're such good kids, but I know, of course, they have a mom who has great faith. And so... We never know when our suffering comes, as we talked about last week. We never know what's going to happen when life gets hard. But we've got to seek God. We've got to pursue God to find that comfort. We left off at uh, verses 9 and 10. We're continuing in this where Paul's talking about facing death with courage. Uh, Last week he even talked about how we can look forward to death because of these glorious new bodies we're going to get, and we're finally going to be with the Lord. And then he says this in verses 9 and 10. He says, So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or or evil. So Paul talked about how the moment we die, we're going to be with God. We don't have to fear that. What God has prepared for us is absolutely glorious. And so now Paul says, because of this, because of what Jesus Christ has done on that cross, because of what what God has prepared for those who love Him. Paul says that we should make it our aim, it should be our goal in life to please Him. Verse 9 again says this, So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. Paul says whether we're in this body or or whether we die and go to heaven, Our aim, our goal for all of eternity is going to be to please 
God. So we might as well practice now. There's no greater aim in life. There's no greater goal in life than to please God. Um, it, it, it's really all that will matter in eternity is what we did for God and were we pleasing to God. You know that's why you were created, don't you? You were created to please God. We were created for His glory. And, and so, because you were created to please God, that's what's going to bring you fulfillment. That's what God created you to do. To know Him. To worship Him. To please Him. And the moment you say, I want to please God with my life, that's going to be the beginning of your fulfillment. And it's going to be in here. And as we've been talking about in 2 Corinthians, oh no, that doesn't mean everything in this life is going to be easy. That doesn't mean there's not going to be hard times and suffering and growing old and dying and all that stuff that comes with planet Earth. But in here, in here, incredible fulfillment. Uh, until you please God, you will be empty in here. You can cover it up. You can keep yourself busy. Many people do. Many people love their selfishness. But it's the only way to true joy, true peace. Colossians 1 says it this way. Paul says, As to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. There it is. When you begin to please God, you're going to bear spiritual fruit in your life. You're going to know God. You're going to love God. You're going to love God's people. You're going to love God's church. And you are going to grow and you're going, to increase your, you're going to increase your knowledge of Him, which is going to build your faith and build your love for Him. And you're going to be strengthened. And you're going to experience endurance, patience, and the best part, joy. Joy. Learning to please God. And then he says this in verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Now usually when we talk about judgment day in church, we're usually trying to scare everybody, right? Because <laughs> judgment day is a scary thing. The Apostle Paul here in the context, Paul is a very unusual Christian because he is, he is looking forward to death. And he's actually, the context here, he's actually looking forward to the judgment. Paul talked about how he had a clear conscience. He was not arrogant, but he was confident in what God was doing in his life and it gave him boldness, courage, 
confidence and, and a desire to continue to please God. And, and his goal was not like, oh boy, I'm going to stand at the judgment and I'm going to get in trouble. No, he's, he's saying, I want to stand at the judgment and, and I, I want to be pleasing to God. I want God to be pleased with what He did in my life. You should know that in talking about judgment, especially the Christian judgment, uh, judgment there in the Greek, it's bima seat. A uh, bema seat was the seat in those ancient times where the governor would make rulings. It was most known for their Olympic games, sporting events. And so from the bema seat, athletes would come and they would receive rewards based on what they did in the competition. And so that's what you have to understand when, when we're talking about the Christian judgment. First of all, there's no punishment for Christians. Scripture says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus said who com whoever comes to Him, they will not be judged. Meaning, they won't be punished because of their sin because Jesus took the judgment we deserve, took the punishment we deserve, and placed it upon Himself at the cross. So the Christian judgment day is not for us to be in trouble. It's for us to be rewarded for what we've done as believers, whether it's good or bad. Paul explained it this way in, uh, in 1 Corinthians 3. In this symbolic analogy, watch this, this is pretty good. He says, according to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building on it. Let each one take care of how he builds on it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is in Jesus Christ. So Paul's analogy is a building. And he's saying the foundation is Jesus Christ. We talked about it Wednesday night. Uh, the wise man builds his house on the rock, Jesus Christ. The foolish man builds his house on the sand, anything else but Christ. And so if you build your life on Christ, that's the foundation. That's, what, <clears throat> that's what's going to get you to heaven. That's what makes you a believer. But now that you're a believer and you have that foundation... Now that you've come and built your life on the rock, turning to Christ, he says we need to continue to build with our life. Verse 12, now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become manifest. For the day, notice that, capital D, the day, judgment day, the Bema Seat judgment, when we stand before Christ as Christians, will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, 
but only as through fire. Symbolic language. That when you stand before Jesus Christ, Christ in all His wisdom, He knows everything about you. He knows every word you've said. He knows every thought that you have thought about. And He knows you completely. He knows you better than than you know yourself. And so the point is, my life, when I stand before Jesus Christ, whatever I have done for God, whatever I have done that has pleased God, that was done with good motives, with the right heart, that will not be burned up. That will not disappear. So anything that I've done that, that's been good for God is symbolized as gold, silver, and costly stones. But all the time I've wasted... And all the time I spent doing stuff that don't matter in eternity. All that is like wood, hay, and stubble, and that's going to be burned up, gone. No reward for that. And so that's the analogy. And each of us, each of us build our Christian life. So we're not going to be punished, but when we get there, we have to be rewarded based on what we've done. And Paul's almost acting like, some people are going to like feel like they barely got saved, you know, because they've wasted their entire Christian life. But I believe so there're going to be different rewards, of course. There are many Christians that have suffered and sacrificed and have spent their entire life focused on the Lord Jesus Christ, and those type of people are going to be rewarded the most. But And it's kind of sad over here, you know, in America, we got so much wood, hay, and stubble to keep us sidetracked. And I'm just telling you this, I'm telling you this, and I know it's kind of confusing because you think if heaven's a perfect place, why are rewards going to matter? Well, the book of Revelation says, you know what we're going to do with those rewards? We're going to cast them at Jesus' feet. So you know what the motive is by Paul? Is I want to please God Because when he rewards me, because I allowed God to use me, I want something to give back to him. I want something just to give back to him and worship him. Because really, we can't do anything good apart from God. We can't do it on our own. So this is the motive. This is the motive that for Judgment Day, not that we fear it, but that we look forward to it, that God is going to reward us. And I believe every Christian is going to be rewarded somehow, some way, for what you've done. Um, I, when I think about this, I always think, of, uh, I always think of the criminal on the cross. You know, the criminal, the, the thief on the cross, some Bible translates called him. Um, he was dying on the cross next to Jesus. But when he come to the end, he asked Jesus to remember him. He said, Lord, will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? And Jesus said to him, I tell you the truth, today you'll be with me in paradise. You're going to heaven. Why? Because you put your faith in me. You asked me to save you. Now think about that criminal. That's the only thing he's ever did in his entire Christian life was pray one prayer. Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And I'm telling you, 
He will be rewarded for that statement. That, that's his gold. That's his silver. That's his precious stone. And for all of eternity, that criminal who we will know and we will hang out with, it'll be a picture of God's grace. And it'll remind us that's the only reason why we're there, because of God's grace. Anything, anything we were allowed to do for God was because of God's grace. I would encourage you. I, I talk to a lot of defeated Christians in counseling and many defeated Christians. They've made so many mistakes in their life and they just can't get over it, you know. Um, they've done things that Christians aren't supposed to do and sometimes it ruins as a marriage. Sometimes it ruins a family. Sometimes it ruins a ministry because... People get their eyes off of the Lord and off of things that don't matter and, and it causes a lot of pain and grief in these Christians' lives. But you got to understand, sometimes these Christians feel so defeated, it's like, what's the use? You know, I've already messed up. I've already, you know, but you can't have that attitude. You have to start today. To every, the Lord's mercies are new every day. Today, you can recommit your life and you can aim to please God and start, and start to build with gold, silver, and costly stones for the glory of God. And it brings fulfillment to your life and it'll bring joy on judgment day. Yeah, those mistakes you made, that's all gonna burn up. You can't get rewarded for that. But the good news is you're forgiven and you're going to be welcomed in. And whatever your part is in God's glorious heaven, you're going to love it. And God has prepared that for you. So I would say to you, don't look at your past. Don't be shackled to your past and the mistakes you've made. Look forward. Paul says this in Philippians 3, talking about his striving for his Christian faith. And he says, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me His own. Paul's admitting, I'm not perfect. I've made mistakes. I'm never going to be perfect in this sinful human body. Paul knows that. Paul talked about his struggles in Romans 7. And and it's one of the reasons why Paul, I think, was looking forward to death so he would get out of that sinful body and stop being selfish and battling temptation. Verse 13, he says, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul says, I got, I got to forget what's behind. Man, he made a lot, he made, did a lot of bad things, especially before he was a believer. And he had to let that go. And, and Paul is admitting that he's made mistakes even as a believer. And we all do. But from this moment on, we've got to forget what's behind. We've got to know that Jesus died for our mistakes. He died so we won't walk around feeling guilty all the time. And the only way to do that is swallow our pride and give our past to Jesus. 
I mean, my past haunts me. There are things that I've done. I, you've heard stories, but there, there are some things I don't share that, that haunt me to this day of hurt I've caused other people, uh, sins that I've committed against God. But all I can do is forget that. All I can do is trust that Jesus died for that and let it go. And now press on and, and consider, it, consider it a great opportunity now to serve Christ for the rest of my life until I get there with Him because of His grace. So let your past go. Confess it and give it to Jesus. He wants you to. He'll forgive you of your past. He'll cleanse of you of your past. And when the devil comes and reminds you of it, you confess your sin and he'll cleanse you all over again. But press on, press on to the goal. Paul talks about, he talked about it in 1 Corinthians, how as a, as a Christian believer, he strived like an athlete competing in the games. He made himself disciplined so he would stay focused on God's calling for him. And then, and then he says, you know, these, these athletes, they do it for a prize that will not last, but we do it for a prize that will last forever, right? You think of the Olympics about to start, right? And these, these athletes are disciplined. They train nonstop. Think about it. It's, it's an honor just to, complete, just to compete in the Olympics, uh, they had to qualify for the Olympics, so they, they, they are there. They're in the Olympics. What an honor. And whether they come in first or last place in, in a race, they're still part of the Olympic team. And I mean, that's what Paul, the analogy is. You know, if, we've, if we have come to Jesus Christ, we're part of the team. We're going to be there. And whether we... Whoever is sitting up front in heaven and, and has done the most for God, we're not going to be jealous of that because we're not going to have no pride. We're going to praise God for it. And we're going to love one another wherever God puts us in heaven. But we have one chance on this side of eternity, one chance to be pleasing to God. And this is it. So I would, I would encourage you to be disciplined, to be focused not because you have to, because you want to. I know in talking with two people that are going to be baptized today that I talked to, their whole, their whole aim, why are they being baptized today? They want to be pleasing to God. They're not getting any money out of this today, getting baptized. They're, they're, the rest of the world's not going to throw a big party for them like the Super Bowl winners tonight are going to get. But they are, they are doing this to be pleasing to God. It's not the, the baptism doesn't wash away their sin. First Peter says, baptism can't remove the dirt from your body. It can't take away your sin. But it's a pledge of good conscience. It's good for your conscience because you're, you're wanting to obey God. He asked you to be baptized, so you humble. It's humbling to get up here on stage. It's nerve-wracking. I was terrified at my baptism. That's why I acted like, hey guys, I don't want to do it on Sunday. I want to do it right now. And I was acting like I was this great Christian that wanted to do it right now, but I just I didn't want to do it in front of the crowd. So I got baptized on a Thursday. But 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 you know, 
We do these things to please God. I hope you came to church today because you want to be pleasing to God. I hope you didn't come because it's your religious duty or you feel like you have to. We do these things to be pleasing to God. And man, we get so much, we get so much out of that because God created us for that relationship with him. And just like God created fish to swim in water, okay, that's what God created him to do. And when you have that fish in a bucket, he looks miserable, doesn't he? Because that's not what God created him to do to be in a bucket. He was created to swim. And you and I were created to glorify God and to be pleasing to him any way possible. And Hebrews says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. So really, it's, it's not us striving to do some type of religious works. It's just having faith in God. It's being thankful. It's having faith in what Jesus Christ did on the cross. It's having faith in the resurrection. It's having faith in the scripture and the promises of God. It's little stuff like being thankful, like looking at the stars at night. And that's faith saying, God, you created all this. And thank you that you're beyond my understanding and you love me. And there's so many ways. We make it so hard, but it's just about having faith and being thankful being kind to other people, serving in God's church, singing with your heart. And it's just, we just continue in that to be pleasing to God. First John says this. He said, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. I love that. So that goes together with standing before God, right? And all the selfishness in my life is burned away. All the sin, all the wasted time, and only, only the precious stones, the precious things done for God is there. And then it says we'll be like Him. What does that mean we'll be like Him? We'll, we'll be sinless. We'll have glorified bodies like Jesus had. And we'll know one another, but we won't be we won't be stuck in sin anymore. I don't know about you. Don't you hate your sin? I hate my sin. I just can't stand it. But you can't stop. You just can't stop these thoughts. And compared to what you're putting in your mind, that's that's what escalates bad thoughts. Bad words come from bad thoughts. And so it's just it's just gonna be nice <laughs> when we're all nice. And we're no longer trapped by our sinful mind and our sinful desires. Um, I remember an episode of Gilligan's Island. And let, I guess if you're, unless you're under 50, you probably don't, or over 50, you probably don't know what Gilligan's Island is. I used to watch the show Gilligan's Island. They were, they were filmed in the 60s. And on one episode, Gilligan finds these uh, sunflower seeds. And he finds that when he eats the seeds, he can read everybody's mind. Well, hey, the whole cast of the island thought, wow, this is cool. They had to get these seeds. They wanted to be able to read minds. They loved the power about it. But what happened was they started reading one another's minds and they wanted to kill each other. 
They had no idea that so-and-so was thinking these thoughts about them. And on and on. And Gilligan had to end up going and destroying the plants so they couldn't eat them anymore. You know? Think about that. Think about if we could read each other's thoughts, you know? That wouldn't be a good thing, you know? Hey, nice to see you in church. And then they read your mind. Ooh, what's up with that hairdo, you know? It's like, it's like we wouldn't like each other. We wouldn't like each other because our thoughts are just all over the place. And they're selfish and they're sinful. Thank God. Thank God there's going to be no more selfishness, no more sinful thoughts. That itself is going to be so fulfilling when we get to heaven and we no longer sin. One final passage of Scripture I want you to look at, and then we're going to have our baptism. I kind of owe you, I had a long sermon last week, I owe you a little bit shorter one this week. But, but I want to read this to you as a, uh, an evangelism call. For those watching, if you're visiting, you see Christians, we go to, we're going to a rewards judgment. We're going to a judgment where God will reward us. And so we don't have to be afraid of that judgment because of Christ. But what judgment are unbelievers going to? They're going to a different judgment. They're going to what's called the great white throne judgment. So let me read it to you. Revelation 20. 11.15, he says, And then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it, from his presence, earth and sky fled away, and there was no place found for them. Symbolic language that this person on this throne is so glorious, this is so awesome, this is so powerful, this is so terrifying. Terrifying. Verse 12, and I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And the books were open. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books, according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. A lot of people wonder, well, God's going to resurrect everybody's bodies. What about the people that died at sea and the fish ate them? What about the people that were blown up in war? What about those people? God knows where every molecule is. And he says, all the dead are raised up to stand before this great white throne. And these are unbelievers. Death and Hades gave up the dead that were in, that were in them. And they were judged, each of them, according to what they had done. Meaning, the holding place right now for an unbeliever, I always give the analogy, it's like, where does an unbeliever go when they die today? Well, they, because a Christian, absent from the bodies to be present with the Lord. So where do they go? They go to Hades. It's like, a, it's like a, if you get arrested, you go to the county jail until your court date, and then you're sentenced to the final prison. And that's what it's like after an unbeliever dies. They're going to go to Hades, kind of like God's county jail, and, and then they're going to be resurrected from that to stand before this great white throne. And then death and Hades will be thrown into the lake of fire, and that will become the final place for those who rejected Christ for all of eternity. Verse 14, Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. Verse 15, 
If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. I don't know what the lake of fire is. We obviously know this is symbolic language. Jesus talked about hell being outer darkness. I think it's outer, it's, it's, remember when God sent the plague of darkness on the Egyptian, it was a darkness that could be felt. So you can feel this darkness. It's beyond any depression or discouragement you've ever faced in this life because you're separated from God, meaning you're separated from God's love. You're separated from God's light because you didn't want it. The scripture says people refuse the light. Why? Because they love the darkness. How sad. And so this, this is where unbelievers will go. And the books are going to be open. That's symbolic language. I know some of you think, doesn't God have a computer by now? Uh, listen, God doesn't need books. He doesn't need computers. And again, he'll look at each person standing before him. And Jesus said they'll give an account for every careless word they have spoken. They will actually be judged by their words and their thoughts. And so the thing of it is, here, here's, here's how it goes. You got, you got one of two choices. You either get a free pardon or you get a fair trial. You get a free pardon. In other words, if today you say, I, I, I do not want to go to the great white throne judgment. I do not want to get a fair trial. I do not want God to expose every word and every deed that I've ever said and done. I accept the pardon Jesus offers. I accept the payment that he made for me. He was judged for me. That's what I want. I want Jesus Christ to forgive my sins. I want to go, I want to, go to the judgment where there's rewards given out. I don't want to go to the judgment where people are thrown into the lake of fire. And it says, if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. By the way, that book of life is already written. God already knows if your name's in that book of life. I had a friend of mine from high school one time said to me, so why should I worry about it then? If my, if my name's not in there, I guess it's not in there. Well, let me tell you, if you bow your heart today to Jesus Christ and ask him to forgive your sin, realize you can't save yourself and look to the cross, your name's in there. If you reject it, your name's not in there. It's up to you. Kinda. <laughs> Kinda. Because it's God that draws. It's God that changes hearts. And if God is drawing you, if God, if God is doing a work on your heart, you come. You come. A couple of people are going to obey the Lord and be baptized today. And I know some of you, some of you, you're like me. You're afraid to get baptized. That's why you've been putting it off. And you know what? If you're here today and God's been calling you to get baptized, do what my son Frank did. Come up here and get baptized and go home wet. Those are the good kind of baptisms. Those are the kind that last. You come. Put your faith in Christ. Make it your aim to please God. Make it your aim to please God. It'll bring fulfillment to your soul. And it'll glorify our great God who's so deserving of all he has done.
for us. Would you bow and pray with me? You need to close your eyes. You know, there's nothing says that we have to close our eyes when we pray. We, we just kind of do that to focus. I had one guy tell me that, he says, Frank, you always say bow, and he's got a bad back. He can't bow over. You know, it's okay. You don't have to bow. You don't have to close your eyes. God, it's just, just want you to, in quietness, let God hear your heart. That's what this is all about. Let God hear your heart. And so, you know, as always, preaching the gospel, the one thing we want today is somebody watching or somebody visiting, we want you to put your faith in Christ. We don't want you to be at the great white throne judgment. Trust me, you don't want a fair trial. We have so much sin, we're not even aware of how much we sin. Look to Jesus Christ. We're going to see He became sin for us. He who knew no sin became sin for us in chapter 5. Meaning He took the judgment that you deserve. All of your sin was placed upon Him. And then He rose from the grave to prove that He could back up what He promises. Put your faith in Christ. Rest in Him. Ask Him to forgive your sin. Ask the Holy Spirit to enlighten your mind, enlighten your heart. Christians, I pray you'd recommit your life today. I pray you're not discouraged hearing that we're going to be standing at the judgment. I pray that you'd look forward to it. I pray that you'd forget your past. Let it go. Press on from here and be pleasing to God. He is so worthy. Father God, I thank you for this morning. Lord, I have a new love for this book, 2 Corinthians, God. It's just so refreshing, so encouraging. God, as we have many people in our church that have been through suffering and death and sickness and so much, God, I, I just love it when they hear your word and they are encouraged and it builds their faith. Lord, in the days to come, we don't know what you will allow in our life. We don't know how much longer you're going to allow this world to go on. God, I just pray that we keep our focus on you. I pray that our aim would be to please you. I pray that we'd wake up in the morning wanting to please you. Lord, I pray that your Christian people would go to work tomorrow, and I know they're going to a secular job, but God, I pray that they work for you. Help them to be thankful for their job. Help them, to, as Colossians says, help them to work at all, with all of their heart like they're working for you. God, help our, help our thoughts to be pleasing. Help our words to be pleasing. God, we want our church to be pleasing to you as we help people, help hurting people, suffering people. God, thank you that you've made us a family and thank you that we can all be a part of it. We pray all these things in the precious name of Jesus Christ, amen.